This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Fern Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. My guest today is a mobile home park broker. He's out of the Phoenix office, but he practices nationwide. He actually recently represented me on the sale of a mobile home park in Illinois a deal that got, got a little dicey due to COVID, but we uh, got it closed and I'm looking forward to the next one. My guest today, thanks for being on here, Jared Bosch. Thanks, Bert. I really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, having me and representing uh, the Northmark team today. You got it. Appreciate it. Well, Jared, tell us a little bit about your background, kind of how did you get into the mobile home park space? How'd you get started so, so our viewers can get to know you a little better? Sure. A um, little background on myself. I grew up in Illinois, went to school there, and uh, through that, I actually met my partner, Don Bedeen, out here in Arizona. We both attended the University of Illinois. Um, Don uh, kind of started up our manufactured housing group here at Northmark, previously with another brokerage. Uh, we kind of spawned off one of the large national multifamily groups and created uh, our team here. Um, so we kind of knew each other before we both have a background in sales and uh, it was a really good opportunity. Uh, I came from a kind of a different background, not uh, from real estate, but I was in sales as was Don and we both wanted to pursue some real estate ventures together. Uh, he got in first, kind of talked to myself and uh, I met with the team here and seemed that like they had a really good platform uh, to, to, to be a resource in the industry. So he, he brought me over um, since then we've added another partner of ours, Chris Michael. So there's three of us here that uh, run the manufactured housing division of Northmark. Got it. Yeah, definitely a good time to get into business. I want to hear your thoughts on the current market. I mean, the last yeah. several years have gotten hot and I think with uh, the COVID era that we're in, it's only going to get hotter. What are you seeing out there in the marketplace? Yeah, we're seeing a really strong market. You know, there was uh, probably a month or so lull in the market during COVID. A lot of deals that were, were on the market or people were thinking about marketing kind of got, got held off. And I mean, for good reason, a lot of owners were worried about, you know, their tenants, you know, collecting rent, making sure things were still operating smoothly. And, you know, we saw an extremely resilient market in the manufacturer housing space through COVID. We talked to tons of owners during that time just try to be a resource of information as best we could. And we really saw uh, strong performance for most communities across the country, top to bottom. And with that performing so well, we saw a lot of new buyers, a lot of new capital enter the space. Uh, so we had a lot of conversations, just high level with folks that were looking to come into manufactured housing in the RV space third COVID. And then as we got into July and August, some of that inventory started coming back to the market. And when we saw it then, we saw extremely strong demand. We saw pricing uh, increase to pre-COVID levels, um, even some cap rate compression further beyond what it was previously. Um, a lot of deals getting in escrow very quickly. Uh, and I think we're gonna continue to see that the rest of the year going into next year. Uh, strong demand for this asset class, 
the debt market is extremely competitive still with very low rates and a lot of players that are they're willing to lend on this product type. So we we see as a group, and I think the industry as a whole is that manufacturing housing will continue to be strong, if not stronger, in the rest of the year into 2021. Oh, sounds like sounds like you know your stuff. That's uh, that's a lot to unpack, but I, I would agree with everything you said about kind of macroeconomic trends and the debt markets. So the, the cap rate compression has made it harder for people to find deals at good prices, in my opinion. Yeah. But you know, it's good for the sellers for sure. Um, it makes off-market yeah. deals. It makes off-market deals um, perhaps you know more lucrative, but at the same time, for you guys as brokers, it probably makes it easier for you to get listings. I would say, are you able to now produce comps that you can show you know ma and pa sellers, and and then all of a sudden, yeah. is your business better? Is, is that is that accurate? And how do you go about how do you go about getting listings? I'm curious on, on your taxes. I know how you yeah, I know so how you landed me on one, but I want to know what you how you land other folks. Sure, sure. No, so. Just a little bit of background on Northmark. You know, we're a national group representing sellers, so we uh, we don't do a lot of off-market deals. We typically are hired by the sellers in transactions to uh, facilitate the process for them, generate offers, and you know get them the highest and best terms possible. Um, but yeah, we we do a lot of uh, calling uh, to different markets that we're in. Obviously, we we have a deal listed. Uh, our opportunity listed. We're, we're talking with various buyers around the country. You know, are they looking to dispose of any assets in the future? But we, uh, you know, we, we hit the phones pretty hard. Uh, we're calling all over the country. And obviously inventory typically leads to more inventory. So I think just being an extremely active group uh, with a very professional process and kind of the marketing reach that we have. Uh, we're also, Northmark is also the largest direct lender that is private to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So we have the lending capability in-house. So all of our uh, opportunities when we list a community for sale, it's going to our proprietary database of mobile home park buyers, but also over 40 offices and 400 loan professionals within Northmark that also have clients that may be in an exchange, someone that may be looking to get into manufactured housing from multifamily or retail or hospitality, some of those other asset classes that uh, may have been hit a little harder from COVID. So we try to get a very broad reach out there um, and really you know, put these uh, opportunities out to the whole country and all sorts of asset classes. And that usually generates a lot of interest in the assets that we're selling. Uh, good points. Now, you mentioned other asset classes, and I've got a background in retail, and I'm kind of glad that I got out of that before COVID and, and really been focusing on the MHP space the last several years. But you also mentioned RV interest. And I know that that's kind of the, the stepsister, if you will, of sure. MHP. Uh, what are you seeing in the RV space? I'm actually going this afternoon to look at a site that's a combination MHP RV. It's, it's being pitched mm -hmm. to MHP, but there's obviously an RV component. And I'm a little more cautious personally with RV. I think that when I'm looking at cap rates, I want it to be at least 200 basis points higher for RV, maybe 400 That's basis points. True. Is that, do you agree with that analysis and, and this preliminary analysis and, and or what are you seeing in the marketplace, especially from a lender perspective? I know that's another challenge sure. is getting, getting the debt in place. Yeah, great questions all around. So we do have, uh, we do have several RV communities we're selling right now. Uh, a couple that are straight RV, uh, more the investor institutional grade, and some that are a mixture. And yeah, I, I do agree with your assessment. There is a little bit of a, a basis point adder 
typically on like a straight RV park that's pretty high quality, maybe 150 basis points, but I don't think 200 is too far off on what someone's maybe looking to get. Obviously there are some operational uh, pieces that are added on an expense side for an RV park, a little bit more management intensive. So you're gonna see those expense ratios kind of creep up above 45, 50% typically in an RV community. Um, so people are looking for a little bit more safety net, especially in a, a transient market where you might have people coming and going quite often and frequently. Um, the one thing we have seen is there are different buyers for you know exclusive RV resort compared to a mixed use where it's mobile home and RV. Some people kind of just want to stick down the line of one or the other. Um, having people come from the manufactured housing space, you know, they like the community, but it has that RV aspect that they may not be as familiar with. Um, they're not as comfortable going into that. Doesn't mean that there aren't buyers for it. There definitely are. Um, so there, there is kind of those two, two roads you can pass of, of all RV, all manufactured housing and the mixed use. Um, from a lender perspective, yeah, there are going to be a little bit more challenges. Some of the uh, lenders, uh, you know, maybe not be as favorable to RV, but doesn't mean there aren't lenders available uh, for those. But they are probably going to be underwritten a little bit more critically, and especially on what your management expenses are. Make sure those are in line with uh, industry standards, you know, which we, we all know are a little bit higher than manufactured housing. But it doesn't mean the lenders aren't available. I know all the deals that we've put out and the RV space, we're still finding securing debt for those um, and it can get done, but you might not get the pricing that you would get for a strictly manufactured housing community. I don't know. I know one of the operating expense differences in RVs is definitely going to be utilities because it's more common for them to plug into your electric, right? They're not, if people are there for a, yep. a week or a month, I mean, they may not put sure. the utilities in their name. And there's probably some more management expenses because of the turnover nature. Exactly. And I would, I would imagine there's collect collection and bad rent issues, the higher ratio in that. But what other expenses are there? I mean, you mentioned it's going to push the expense ratio from, you know, MHP is typically between what, 30 and 40%, depending on you know, who's, paying, who's paying water sewer, and then obviously the size, and if there's any economies of scale, things like that. But what are the other, what is the, you said kind of 45, is that the normal expense ratio for the RV product? Yeah, I'd say we, we typically would expect to see something in the 45 to 50% range at a, at a minimum. When it gets below that, um, we have seen some instances of, of, of lower expense ratios, and those are more of your long-term um, RV resorts. So if you look at some of the, you know, the winter, the winter resorts in Texas, Florida, Arizona, for instance, those folks may be coming for six months minimum and they may be leaving their RV there year round. So they may have an annual pass or annual lease for that RV space and only be using it six months a year. In those cases, uh, some of them are paying their own utilities. So if they're there for more of a longer period of time, um, some of the utilities will be put in their name and that will come down. But generally to see that Delta between 30% uh, up to 45, it's typically wrapped up in the management and ownership costs. And then also the utilities, those are the two main uh, areas that we see the higher expenses for RV. Okay, got it. Good insights there. So obviously I can tell you, you like to pound the pavement and get after the calls and uh, you know, basically just reach out to folks and try to do business with them. Is, yeah. is that is that the best part of your job? What would you consider is like the best part of your job and the worst part of your job? Yeah, I would say, you know, the best part is just the, the deal making process. You know, we're all, we're all sales guys at heart here. We, we enjoy making deals. 
And I think, uh, you know, being a national group, um, doing the Zoom calls, great, getting in front of you, the conferences, the people, um, the manufactured housing industry is a pretty small group compared to maybe multifamily. So, you know, getting to the conferences and doing the networking with some of the groups we've worked with. Uh, but I think the best part is, you know, getting a, getting a deal done um, that's a win-win-win for the buyer, the seller, um, everyone involved. Um, there's obviously some complications that always come up on every deal. Not everyone is the smoothest one out there. But I think uh, kind of being that advisor to both groups during the escrow and closing process and keeping everyone's best interests in mind and making everyone happy and closing a deal um, is by far the best the best thing that you know the seller's happy they're able to dispose of the asset and take that capital and put it to work somewhere else or it could be a longtime owner that's looking to retire and enjoy their retirement and then also the buyer that's coming in and adding to their portfolio generating some passive income uh, perspectively or just uh, you know adding to their adding to their portfolio so I think those are some of the best things um, and in that process, some of the, some of the more difficult pieces come out as far as, uh, you know, retreating and some of the hiccups that come up in the due diligence process is probably one of the more difficult things, but it's also most, one of the most rewarding things when you can get them done. Got it. No, that's good stuff. I'm curious too, um, you know, talk to a lot of first time buyers and I know that if, as a broker, it's, you're, you're probably desiring a, a second, third, 10th time buyer because you know sure. the ability to close is higher. How, how can, what advice can you give a first time buyer to get on your radar, get, a, get 10 minutes of your time and, and be taken seriously? Yeah, we talk to a lot of first time buyers and uh, have no problem uh, communicating with those folks. We do a lot of calls with groups that are trying to get into this space. Um, and happy to share our insights on, on the market in general. Um, I would say just, you know, do your homework on the deal. Uh, I think if you, if you get a, an opportunity sent to you from a broker or you have an off-market listing you're looking at, um, do your homework, you know, dig into the material a little bit, look at the due diligence items that are provided, uh, maybe before making a call, because, you know, if you just call and say, hey, I just saw this email, can you, can you break it down for me? And, you know, it takes 30 seconds to kind of give you the elevator pitch on a specific deal that uh, we emailed you and you haven't even looked at it. It's kind of frustrating because there's a lot of very basic things that uh, you're looking at. And of course, we get a lot of people that uh, come through and, you know, they all want the same thing. They want a $100,000 or 100,000 person MSA, median home price over 100,000, city utilities. You know what? Everybody wants those deals. Uh, right. So uh, don't think you're the only person looking for that. Uh, there's a ton of people uh, in this space looking for the exact same asset. So find a way to differentiate yourself, know the market a little bit, you know, why are you pursuing this deal and why is it attractive to you? Um, obviously that will get uh, us excited to work with you and represent you and present your offer in the best light to the seller. I think that's good advice. And from the, from the legal side, I, I represent clients a lot of times in their first deal. And I've got some clients that have really done their homework and it's like, man, you could pass it off that you've done 10 deals. And yeah. then I've got guys that's like, have you ever been to mobile home park? Have you ever, and I don't tell them that, you know, but I mean, my, my scope of work ends up growing a lot of times on those that ends sure. up working out okay for sure. me, but it's just like, you gotta do your homework. You gotta get up to speed because it's a super competitive marketplace. And you're talking Absolutely. about like, you know, unrealistic deal criteria. I saw, I'm in this Facebook group on MHP stuff and somebody the other day posted something like, looking for hundred plus pads, MSA of at least a hundred thousand, private utilities, 
nine cap or higher. And I'm just like, exactly. you know, I almost put like, I almost like followed it and said like, good luck so that I could, if anybody threw a lead out there, I could jump on it. But I'm like, no one's gonna throw it. It was like, oh, 2% binders fee or something. Like if somebody <laughs> found a deal like that in this market, they could probably make a lot more than 2%. They could probably make yeah. 10%, you know? So, yeah. or, or just, or take it into a joint venture. I'm, I just entered a joint venture uh, last Friday with a guy who brought two deals, first time deal, but he brought two deals. So I was going to be his lawyer. Well, it turns out now I'm, I'm going to be his partner. Mm -hmm. So it's like, he's going to get paid a heck of a lot more than 2% finder's fee. Sure. Because he found the deal. Find the deal is one of the key, key criteria yeah. for being successful in this business. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you. And I think a lot of people would you know, say, Hey, that deal might not be a fit. Let me tell you my deal criteria. And they list the similar items you said, you know, and it's our kind of standard answer here is it's more jokingly, but it's just to kind of give them perspective is, Hey, if you find any of those deals, let me know. I'll buy it because yeah. they just don't exist. And if it does exist, then you should buy it. And uh, you're probably not going to see it marketed from a broker. Right. Um, if it does exist, I, mean, I think they exist. They're really hard to find and they're not on somebody's email blast. They are pocket listings at bet. I not pocket listings. They're probably direct to seller, and exactly. and they're exactly. probably still got some hair on them. I know, like I live here in the Kansas City metro. I've looked at every single park in the metro, and there's probably eighty if you go out wide enough. And mm -hmm. I've looked at you know written them letters, called them, driven there, and they're almost any of them of substance are almost all institutionally owned at this point. In this sure. in this because it's such a good market. Because it's, it's not realistic for me, at least in this market. I had two that I was close on. One was like 80, one was 374, I think. And I thought I was close, and they both went under contract with some you know, big private equity group. And sure, I don't know what they paid, but it was it had to be a low cap rate, I think. And because it was, it was anyway, it was a tough, tough market to be in right now on the buyer side. But there's still yeah. there's still plenty of deals out there. It's just yep. uh, it's just a lot harder than it was two, three, four years ago. Absolutely, there's uh, the competitive nature of the buy side has, has got increased only the last few years. And I think even through COVID, it's increased even more. Um, some of the stuff that makes the news, uh, Carlisle, Blackstone, some of the large buys they're doing has probably brought some more attention to the space just because it is making some of the larger financial news sectors and, and getting some other private equity groups interested in the space. Um, you know, on the smaller deals, there's still opportunity for private investors for sure. Uh, you just got to be diligent and uh, find the right deal uh, for you. Yeah, no, totally agree. Uh, let me ask you, do you have any lessons or tales kind of from the school of hard knocks? You know, either from one of your own missteps or ideally from somebody else. I like to learn from other people's mistakes whenever I can. Is there any, if you have a kind of a horror story or anything you can share that others can learn from? Yeah, I mean, there's always uh, some issues. I don't know if we have any horror stories from our perspective. I know uh, one thing I would say is really do your homework and your due diligence up front. And that's from a buyer, that's for a broker, that's for you representing folks uh, on contracts. Um, you know, one of the biggest issues we probably see and run into on these transactions are kind of the unknowns, right? Um, whether that's something that comes up in due diligence or the paperwork, but if you can really dig deep on the front end, we try to get all of our due diligence materials uh, as soon as the listing contract is signed and provide that information to all of our buyers on our website prior to listing it. And one of the big reasons we do that is, you know, we don't want to have these big unknowns going into the due diligence period. Um, you know, always disclose everything we know about the property up front. 
because um, the last thing anybody wants from a buyer or seller is you know a hiccup to come into play during due diligence. And we've also we've obviously ran into our fair share of those um, and have found a way to navigate a solution uh, that works for both sides. So uh, you have to know the deals inside and out. Um, really do your homework. Uh, really understand everything about the deal uh, before we take it to the market. And uh, I think that that goes for buyers too. You know, before you have an LOI, really make sure you talk to the broker, the selling party. Make sure you understand every single thing about the deal, all the hair that could be on the deal and make sure you're comfortable with it going in and have some sort of uh, bandwidth, you know, plus or minus, uh, you know, before it closes that, you know, if something does arise, how are you going to address it? Are you going to just drop the thing completely? Or are you going to try to try to make it work? Because I think everyone's best interest is to find a solution to make it work. And that's definitely what we always push for. No, that's good. I think one thing you said that I like is that is to get all your stuff, your due diligence stuff ready. You know, as the seller side, I know I look at deals every day from brokers and, you know, the good brokers all do that where you, you look at, yeah. you get a huge deal room of stuff, a package and stuff you have to deal, you have to look at. Some guys have, you see that you see like the teaser sheet and then it's like, no, that's the whole yeah. offering of random. It's like, okay, this is not very much probation. And they, they kind of hide the ball and they're really doing their client a disservice because when I'm underwriting the deal, yeah. Well, if I find if I don't find it, I guess they get away with it. But, but most likely, I'm going to find it during due diligence, and then I'm going to say, "This is different than you represented," and it's basically giving me justification to retrade on price returns, and that's sure. not fair to the client. It, but it's like they think they're going to get away with it. But if, as opposed to if everything's already out there, well, we you saw that. You know, I saw one. I'm trying to think what it was the other day. You know, it was, I think it was like an environmental issue. They're like, there is an environmental issue, but we got to phase two. We got the we took care of the tanks or whatever. So it was disclosed and it was it was solved as opposed to somebody trying to find it later. Oh, I didn't know there used to be a gas station here. That that means I gotta hire a lawyer to look at five more things and I need to retrain. It's it just seems yeah. like common sense, but there's some serious fly by night brokers out there. And there's there's one guy in particular that is not licensed in maybe any state. And and I I called him out on it one time because he tried to, you know, screw me out of a deal. And I was like, hey, are you even licensed here? And he's like, he just like disappeared. But I still see, I'm still on his email list. He just disappeared from me. But it's like, that guy is out there pitching deals on pro, one piece of pro forma paper. I'm like, this is, sure. and it must be working to some degree because he's in the business and been in the business for several years. But it's just, sure. he's not with the big national outfit, but you guys are not, you know, high quality, but it, Anyway, I don't want, I'm not going to name him. I don't want to bag on the guy too much, yeah. but, but it's frustrating. Yeah, definitely, definitely see a lot of that, a lot of uh, pro forma based uh, offering memorandums. And, you know, our, our philosophy is we always write on the, the, the current financials, trailing 12, and, uh, and base our price off that and obviously adjust the cap rate uh, in accordance to each deal criteria. So. Uh, definitely see a lot of that going on and you hopefully no one will see that from us and it's not really how we uh, how we operate no i think that's the best way to do business speaking of your listings do you have a list i know you i know you've got several listings right now is there is there one in particular that you'd like to give us a teaser on either a new one or or the one you can't get rid of that you're looking to get rid of or the best <laughs> the one that i need to buy what, what could you sure say? um yeah i think i just looked we have i think 17 active deals right now five of them are escrow I think it totals about $100 million of product right now. Wow. Um, some of the newer ones we've just listed are some some interesting plays. We uh, 
we just listed a pretty interesting property in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that is a brand new construction uh, mobile home community that was done as a built to rent, uh, which I find really interesting. We've sold some built to rent uh, single family rental communities on the multifamily side, but this will be the first asset we've done on the manufactured housing side. Um, how many, how many lots, how many lots and let me interrupt you and, and what cap rate are you asking on that? Cause so many people don't yeah. like the park and home model, but I, I have heard and seen more and more of those coming yeah. down the pike. Yeah. So it's a, it's a 70, yeah. So it's a 77 site community in Baton Rouge, uh, gated community, all brand new homes, um, targeting about a six cap, which is about a hundred basis points higher than the apartment market in the area. Uh, but, you know, we see a need for affordable housing. They're seeing it. They have, it's 100% full. They have a wait list. Um, there's a lot of people that are moving out of apartments and seeking this type of uh, arrangement. Um, we're just seeing people, with, even with COVID, moving out of apartments, trying to get more space. And I think the rental aspect of manufactured housing has a lot to play, especially in some of the newer high-quality homes. Um, your price per square foot to rent one of these uh, homes is, is is less than an apartment could be, and you're going to get a nicer home on some of these newly built homes. So I think that's a really interesting deal. Um, we just listed a three-park portfolio in North Dakota. That's kind of a, a unique 410 sites, uh, a huge opportunity to come into a market with scale, which is obviously something a lot of buyers are looking for. Right. Uh, everybody's looking for kind of that, that one-off deal, but then they say, what else is available in the area? And that one's interesting. It's a it's a kind of a higher lot rent market, um, kind of association with some of the energy companies and, and bases there in North Dakota. But coming into a, a, a new area that you may not be involved in and get three parks and 410 sites is uh, extremely appealing to a lot of folks. Yeah, that's definitely scale. I've had a couple of people reach out to me on LinkedIn just to say stuff like, "Hey, can you put together 50 million or 100 million in portfolio right now?" Is like that's what the big players want. They don't want to buy a bunch of one and two and three million yeah. deals. And it's just, it's hard. I mean, I don't have a hundred million dollar portfolio laying around to sell, right? Uh, but not a lot of people do. And the guys that do are buying up others. So it's, there's, it, there's definitely a new massive appetite from, from big players. Yeah. And I've had people contact me like, Oh, I've got an in with Blackstone group, or I've got a, you know, my friend works at Carlisle. What can you, you know, what can you put together? And then, it's just it's like unrealistic expectations too but i want i want the the yield that you put together on a million dollar deal sure it's hard to it's hard to buy a portfolio at a nine kit right you can yeah. buy a one-off deal at an eight or nine but portfolios are probably looking in the four five six range probably four or five yeah. yeah the portfolio there's obviously a, a little bit of a lower cap rate just because this the economies of scale right you know everybody wants more lots you know a, a ten dollar rent raise goes a lot further on 500 lots than it does on 50. So there's obviously a premium on on the uh, portfolios and definitely enticing. And you're going to see a lot of people interested in those portfolios. But doesn't mean that you know they they're they're not as common as the the one-off deals. Is from our perspective, we sell a lot of single parks, but we also do a lot of portfolios too. Got it. Great. Well, Jared, this has been good. Really appreciate the time today. Um, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, how, how can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my my email is probably the best. It's uh, the letter J B O S C H at northmark.com, and that's Northmark like direction North M A R Q. Um, you can all see all of our active listings. We like I said, we're a, we're a listing group. All of our 
All of our available listings are on our website at you know, listings.northmark.com. You can go and see everything that we have available. Uh, you can also find us at Northmark Manufactured Housing Group on LinkedIn. We post all of our market reports on there. Um, we put out every month, we put a sales report out of what's transacted the previous month. And we also have a really good research group here that puts out a quarterly research report on the manufactured housing industry as a whole. Um, it talks about home shipments, cap rates, rents uh, across the, the country. So we try to be uh, a great resource for people uh, nationwide, uh, share a lot of information. If anybody wants to get added to our distribution list for listings or for those market reports, please reach out. Uh, again, emails jbosh at northmark.com and uh, my number is 602-952-4049. All right, thanks, Jared. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ferd. You got it. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.